Hello, church. Hello. Isn't God good? Amen. We've been hearing so many stories of what He's doing all around the church and all around the city. Hello to Williton campus, to City campus who's joining us, as well as online campus. So good having all of us today. We're on the series where we're talking through the book of Amos. And today's message is titled, The God of Social Justice. You don't really hear that much. You don't really hear them being put together but the God of social justice. And because the topic of justice and injustice can feel so heavy and so serious, I thought maybe how about I start with some jokes. The first joke is this. One day, little Johnny asked his teacher, Mrs. Smith, is it ever fair for me to be punished for something I didn't do? Mrs. Smith looked at him and said, of course not, dear, that would be really unfair. And so with a, with a smile of relief, little Johnny said, that's good, I'm so glad, because I didn't do my homework. <laughs> so all the kids appreciated that, maybe not so much the parents. <laughs> the second joke is this. A pastor died and went to heaven, and entering behind this pastor was an Uber driver who had died a few seconds ago because of his reckless driving. So as they all approached the gates of heaven, the pastor was called first. And St. Peter said to him, for faithfully pastoring your church all of your life, we will give you a small studio apartment where you will spend all eternity. And then St. Peter turns to the Uber driver and said, for your two years as an Uber driver, we will give you a big gold mansion and a Ferrari. And so the pastor was really unhappy and he thought it was really unjust. And so he protested the injustice. And he said, why does the Uber driver get so much more than me when I have devoted my whole life to church and to God? St. Peter explained, you see, during your sermons, half the people were sleeping <laughs> and the other half were looking at their phones. But when the Uber driver was driving, everyone was praying. Maybe I'll be more like the Uber driver today than the pastor. But today we're gonna to turn to the book of Amos and we continue on the series of justice. Amos chapter five, verse four to 15, and we'll read together. This is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. It will devour them, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and the Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. And there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. 
Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us? Comfort us where we need comfort. Confront us where we are done wrong. Challenge us where you want us to change. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Today, this particular passage is written in a way that has a very special structure. And in order for us to fully appreciate what is happening in this passage from verse four to verse 15, you have to understand how the structure works. And the way it's written is that the beginning and the end of the passage mirror one another. And as it goes to the next part, the, the lower half, it gets closer and closer and they reflect one another until it hits the middle. The middle is where the real substance is. It's a way of bringing us attention, our attention to what the writer or the speaker of Amos wants to say. So let me introduce you in a pictorial manner what that looks like. I wanna introduce you to what I call the Amos Burger. So today's passage is like a burger. You've got the buns at the top, at the bottom. They look the same. And then at the next level, you've got the lettuce. And in the middle, you've got the meat, which is the real substance, what you really want to get to. So today we'll go through the buns, the lettuce, and then we finally get to the meat. So I have three things to tell us today. The Bible scholars call the verse in the middle, verse eight to nine, the literary and theological centerpiece of not just the passage, but then the entire book of Amos. So it's really important that we get to the last bit and I want us to focus on that in the end. But let's start with the buns. In the beginning, it starts like this, hey? In verse four to six and in verse 14 to 15, it tells us about what God wanted. God stated what He wanted. And the first thing we know God wanted is that He wanted Israel to worship Him right. Well, the leaders of Israel were worshiping God all right, but they were not worshiping God right. How do we know this? Because verse five says this, God says, do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Bathsheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. And some history here, so we better understand what is going on here. Bethel, the first one, was set up to replace Jerusalem by the king of northern Israel, which is Jeroboam. History records this in 1 Kings verse two, chapter 12, verse 26 to 30. So the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Jeroboam, he thought to himself, well, this kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David, which is the southern kingdom of Judah. They will separate. And there were two different kingdoms now. So he's thinking to himself, well, my kingdom may revert back to the house of David. And if my people were to go and offer sacrifices at the temple of God in Jerusalem, which is in Judah, which is in the nation of Judah, then they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, the other king, the king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. Friends, let me ask this. Was the reason why he, he, was, the, was he concerned about worshiping God or worshiping himself? Was he God-centered or was he self-centered? He was out to save his own skin. And out of wanting to save his own skin, he thought of a good plan. And here's what he thought. So after seeking advice 
The king made two golden calves. He made two idols. And he said to the people, now guys, I'm thinking on your behalf. It is too much for you to go to Jerusalem. It's too far for you to travel down south. So here's what I'm gonna do. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Here are the idols and the statues that you are now going to worship. One he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan, which is further up north. And this thing became a sin. The people came to worship in the one in Bethel and went as far as Dan in the north to worship the other. So that's Bethel. How about Gilgal and Beersheba? These places were history sites for the people of Israel. They were memorial sites. It's kind of like the Statue of Liberty is to the Americans. It's kind of like the Great Wall of China is to the Chinese. Now I don't have time to go through all these things, but the people of Israel did turn these three places into places of worship where they were not meant to turn these places into worship. You can read more about it on FCC.live. So I put a few verses in there where you can read more, but I will not go through it this morning. But church, catch this. The people of Israel, did they still believe in God? Yes. Did they still go and offer sacrifices to God? Yes. But were they worshiping God? No, because they were worshiping God their own way and not God's way. How do we know this? God says in Deuteronomy verse, chapter 12, verse four to five, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way, the way of the other people who don't know God, but you are to seek the place the Lord your God will choose from among all the tribes to put his name there for his dwelling. That's where you will go. To that place you must go. And in 2 Chronicles chapter six, God says, but now I have chosen, of all places where? Jerusalem for my name to be there. Not Bethel, not Gilgal, not Beersheba, but Jerusalem. And I've chosen David to rule my people, Israel. Israel worshiped God their own way. And brothers and sisters, this was the beginning of the end for Israel. And the scary thing for me as I was studying this passage is this. For the whole time that Israel was doing this, they thought that they were all good with God. For the whole time where Israel were worshiping in Bethel, in Gilgal, in Beersheba, they thought that God was still with them, but He was no longer with them. How do I know this? Because Amos 5 verse 14, it says this. It says, seek good, hate, Seek good and not evil, and you will live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say He is. Which means to say, you say He is with you. You, pro you profess that God is with you. He's in your presence. You pray so loud like God listens to you. You worship Him and you offer your sacrifices like God is there smiling on you. You think He is, but no. You seek good, not evil, and live, and then maybe God will be with you just as you say He is. Church, this is a reminder for us that just because we sing worship songs doesn't mean God is worshiped. Just because we give our offerings doesn't mean our offerings are accepted by God. Just because we know our Bible doesn't mean we know God. Just because we came to church today doesn't mean we came to God today. Friends, it is perfectly possible to come to church every single week and still completely miss God. 
Because God wants us to seek Him His way and not our way. Amos verse four and six says this, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Amen. And if we get our worship right, we will begin to treat other people right. We'll get our relationships right. So God demanded that Israel worship Him right. And the second thing is God demanded, God wanted Israel to treat other people right. Verse 14 to 15, the lower half of the bun. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Hate evil, love good. Now the very first thing we notice about these verses is that seeking God in the beginning means to seek good instead of evil. For God, there are two sides of the same coin. In other words, how do you know if you're really seeking God? How do you know if you're really pursuing God? Is when you are seeking good and not evil. How do you know if you're really worshiping God? Is when you are also treating other people correctly. Because in Amos, seek good, the word good, doesn't just to mean seek good things for myself. It means to do good, seek the good of other people, to do good for other people. It's the same Hebrew word, good, in Psalm 37, verse 27, that says this, turn from evil and do good, then you will dwell in the land forever. Or the way that the Apostle Paul says this in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, is this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So brothers and sisters, I leave you with this first truth. How we treat others is part of our worship to God. How you treat the person sitting next to you is part of your worship to God. How is your worship going today? How you treat the people around you is part of your worship to God. How is your worship to God this morning? For the wealthy leaders, of Israel, they were neither worshiping God right, nor treating other people right. They were seeking their own good instead of the good of others. How do I know this? We finished the bun, now let's get to the letters. The second thing, God warned them in verse seven. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. So we now get to the first point in the book of Amos. By the time we get to this point in chapter five, it's the first time when two words, two magic words are put side by side, justice and righteousness. And when they're put side by side in the Old Testament, they mean what we call today social justice. Social justice. Because justice is never personal. Justice is never internal. Real justice is always social. It's what you do to other people. It's what you do amongst other people. It's what people do to other people. So justice and righteousness in the Old Testament means for us social justice. But what do these words actually mean? Listen carefully. The Hebrew word for righteousness, sedaka, refers to a standard of right unbiased relationship between people, no matter the social differences. No matter what kind of social status the person has, no matter where the person stands in society, the way we treat one person from the other is righteous, is right, is unbiased. It's about how we relate to other people. So if we have sadaka, the way that we treat a CEO 
and a cleaner is the same. The way we treat a rich person and a homeless person is the same. The way we treat a homosexual and a heterosexual is the same. The way we treat a black person, a brown person, a white person, or a banana person, and if you don't know what a banana person is, it's yellow on the outside and white on the inside, like me, is the same. Because we have sadaka, we have righteousness, and this is what it means to have righteousness. Righteousness. The second word, justice, in Hebrew is the word mishpat, which refers to concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and to create righteousness. So Mishpat tells us that it's not good enough to be righteous, but we must do what it takes to create righteous, righteousness, to make righteousness happen. That's why in verse 15, God says, maintain justice in the courts. The courts, the Hebrew word for courts, it actually means the gates. It's, a, it's basically a place where society comes together, where there's activity in society. Maintain justice in society. That's what it means. And maybe the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. For the wealthy leaders of Israel, they were neither righteous nor just. They had neither righteousness or justice as the law demands. How do we know this? Amos tells us two ways. The first one, there were people who committed injustice. In verse 10, it says this, there are those who hate the one who upholds justice in the court and detest the one who tells the truth. God is calling out those people who are committing injustice and undermining the system the courts, for their own gain at the expense of other people. Now we need to understand this. Who are the ones who uphold justice in the courts? For us today, they're judges, they're lawyers, they're leaders in society. Who are the ones that tell the truth in the court? For us today, they're witnesses, they're defendants, they're even justice advocates. And God says that those who commit injustice hate them. It's that same word hate that God tells us to hate evil and love good. But now the people here, they hate good and love evil. How do they do so? Verse 11 to 12, we read on. You levy a straw tax on the poor and you impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their vine, their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins because they were exploiting the poor. God says that instead of lifting the poor up, you are trampling on them. In some other translations, literally it says you are stepping on the poor. That's what it means to levy a straw take, just stepping on them. And not just that, you take the food, the only food that they can use to survive to tomorrow, you take that from them as rent as tax. The very thing that will help them to live past today, you said that is mine as well. And not just that, you take all the things that you got from the poor and you built your own stone mansions. You built your own luxurious houses and you plant your own beautiful gardens with the money that you get from the poor. And God says, I know what you did to them and it's offensive to me. It's a great sin. That's what God calls them out for. 
You know, when I was a child, I loved to ask my parents deep Christian theological questions. And one of the questions that I remember asking my parents, I don't know if you kids actually ask your parents the same question, a great question to ask, by the way, is this. Is it ever okay if I win the lottery and give all my money to God? Is that okay that I buy the lottery that way? Is it okay if I steal and then I give what I've stolen to God? Is that okay? Is it okay if I rob the bank and I get $1 million from my robbery and I give it to Jesus? Is that ever okay? Kids, have you ever asked that question to your parents? Have you ever thought about that, kids? If you ever thought about it, kids, would you raise your hands? Yeah, great, right. And tell me the answer, church. Is it ever okay to do something like that and then give it to God? No, that's right. I asked some kids, actually the kids says, okay, (laughs) during the week. It's good, good that kids are here, so we teach them. No, we know it's not okay. In the same way, Israelites are doing that. They, get, they were giving their ill-gotten offerings to God at Bethel, at Gilgal, at Beersheba, hoping and thinking that God was accepting their offering. That's what they did. In Amos 4, last week, Pastor Singap talked about this, and I'm going to read it out for us again. Look at what God said to them. So sarcastic, okay? Look at it. Go to Bethel, yeah, Israel, go to Bethel and sin. Go ahead. Go to Gilgal, yeah, and sin some more. Go ahead, you go ahead. Yeah, 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 you bring your sacrifices every morning, sure. You bring your tithes every three days, sure. Burn your, your leaven bread as thank offering, sure. Bring, uh, brag about your free will offering. Tell everyone that you are giving to me, sure. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. God was upset with them. Because brothers and sisters, here's the truth. God doesn't just care about how we give our money. God cares also about how we get our money. And that has huge implications for how we do business today as Christians. That's huge implications for how we earn our income, how we charge rent, how we treat our employees, how we treat our suppliers and our business partners. God doesn't just care about how we give today. God cares about how we get our money from the days past. But then what about the other Israelites maybe who like, no, nah, I didn't do anything. I didn't exploit the poor. I, I, I didn't trample over the people who are vulnerable. I didn't do anything. Maybe they, they were thinking to themselves, well, I, I didn't commit any injustice. I, I didn't sin. Well, the Bible tells us that they are not let off the hook either. And God continued, and now God says, ah, now is your turn. The second people that God warned are those who are complicit in injustice. Look at verse 12. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. God is now calling out those people who because of their actions, or lack of actions became complicit. In other words, became accomplices, accomplices in the acts of injustice. How so? They could be the very same people who are supposed to uphold justice in society. The judges, the lawyers, the leaders of society who are maybe meant 
to see and oversee those cases. They took bribes from the people who had money, those people who were committing injustice, and they decided to close one eye to what was happening. That's what the Bible says they did. And God says, you too have oppressed the innocent. You are no different. And then there are also some people who witnessed the incidents, witnessed the injustice. They saw, they knew it, but they chose not to speak up or to stand up for the poor. And God says, you too have deprived the poor of justice. You're no different. God warned both those who committed injustice and those who were complicit in injustice. And then verse 13, the Bible goes on. Amos goes on to say this. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. What does this mean? Does this mean God wants us to be wise, prudent? He wants us to be smart, street smart, and maybe just keep quiet? Is this what God wants us to do? No, of course not. Otherwise, He will be contradicting Himself. Amos, what Amos was doing here is he was making an observation of what was happening in Israel. No wonder the prudent, no wonder the wise, they just choose to shut up. Because the moment you speak up, someone's going to step on you. The moment you speak up, tall poppy syndrome, someone's going to cut you down. No wonder the wise people don't speak up because the times are evil. But is this what God wants? No, of course not. God doesn't want us to shut up and put up. God wants us to do this. Verse 14 to 15, he goes on to say, seek good, not evil. You do something about it. You seek what is good, not live with what is evil. You must hate evil and love good and you maintain justice this way. So brothers and sisters, church, what is the point here? Social justice in the eyes of God is not just simply staying away from injustice, but stopping injustice altogether. If we have the power to speak up and to stand up for the vulnerable, for the other people, God absolutely expects that we do so. The great Christian leader and social activist, social advocate, Martin Luther King Jr., he said this, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. So church, if you see someone being bullied, speak up and stand up. If you see someone being taken advantage of, speak up and stand up. If you see someone being oppressed by an unjust system, speak up and stand up. If you see someone being exploited because of their situation, stand up and speak up. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, don't shut up and put up. Turn to the other person next to you and say, speak up and stand up. Speak up and stand up. But no one is standing up, very good. Everybody understands what I'm talking about. Now, how we treat others is part of our worship to God. That's what we talked about. God wants us to worship right and to make sure that other people are treated right. Amen. So we're done with the bun. We're done with the lettuce. Now we get to the meat. We get to the crux of what God is trying to say in this passage. God wanted 
God warned, and the middle is simply God. We're almost at the middle of the burger. We're at the center of the centerpiece, what I call the Mona Lisa of the Louvre. When you go to the Louvre, the first thing you want to see is the Mona Lisa. Here's where we are. Verse 7, let's start reading from there. There are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He, that is God, who made the Pleiades and the Orion, who turns midnight into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. That's like the great flood in the times of Noah. With a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. Notice that the passage opens with an immediate contrast in power. Did you notice that? Yes, Israel's leaders may have the power to turn society upside down, but what about God? God has the power to turn the universe right side up. I want you to notice the power difference. Church, there is no injustice in society that God cannot fix. There is no system so oppressive that God cannot break. God can light up every darkness. He can break every stronghold, just as the song says. He can right every wrong. What is impossible with people is possible with God. There is nothing that our God can do. Someone say amen. You know, it's like Amos was shaking his fist at the Israel leaders and singing that children worship song. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. except not for you, it's to you. There's nothing my God cannot do to you. That's what Amos was saying. Thank you, brother, for singing with me. Otherwise, I'll be left hanging here. So finally, the center of the book of Amos, the center of the entire passage is this, verse 8, and I read it for us. The Lord is His name. The Lord is His name. We finally get to the middle, the crown jewel. Catch this, brothers and sisters. The entire book of Amos boils down to this. More than a book to remember God's judgment. More than a book to remember God's justice. Amos is a book to remember God. Amos is saying, remember God, the Lord, is His name. So why seek God? Because God wants to be worshipped right. Why seek good? Because God wants us to treat others right. Why justice? Because God loves justice. Why seek righteousness? Because God loves righteousness. Psalm 33 verse 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. The whole earth is full of His unfailing love. Church, social justice is not us responding to the injustice of society. Social justice is us responding to the love and the justice of God. It's not simply raising placards and marching for a cause. It's recognizing who God is and following Him no matter the cost. Church, because our God cares for social justice, 
We, as a church, we can feel inadequate. That's okay. But we cannot feel indifferent. That's not okay in the eyes of God. You know, I believe God wants to begin to open our eyes to the injustice of our society today. Not just to see what society is doing, that's not good enough, but to see what God, our God is doing in society. And where do we start? Where do we start? The Lord is His name. The Lord is His name. Today as Christians, as people of Jesus, we know the Lord came with a different name. 2,000 years ago, the Lord came, embodied Himself, became a baby, and was named as the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is His name. Jesus is His name. We start here. The name above every other name. The name in which heaven and earth bows down to. The Son is the image of the invisible God. And it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 to 11, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every other name. For at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, whether in heaven or on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Jesus is His name. That's where we start. Social justice, it begins here. At this point, we look at what God has done for us on the cross through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Jesus, who had no sin, who did no wrong, who did no injustice to anyone, and made Him to become sin for us, put Him on the cross to die for all the injustice and all the wrong that we did. So that in Christ, in Jesus, we may become the righteousness of God. See, only Jesus can make us righteous. You see, only Jesus can make righteousness happen. Only Jesus can bring about true justice and righteousness in the world today. Friends, we need to turn to Jesus, our only source, our only hope. It's when we are connected with Jesus that we can be changed to change our world. Someone say amen. Let's bow our heads for a moment as I close. I'm gonna, in a moment, I'm gonna ask all of us to stand up and then we're gonna pray together. Represent, represent the name of Jesus and speaking the name of Jesus into the world, into social, into society, into injustice. But before we do so, I wanna give an opportunity for those of us who don't know Jesus today. You walked into church today and you're not a Christian or you are not sure if you, have, if you are a Christian. And today you wanna receive Jesus into your life to begin to be changed by the love and the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna pray for you. So if that's you today, you say, Pastor Dan, I wanna I, I want become a Christian. I wanna receive Jesus into my life. Whether you're in city campus, you're online, or you're here in Williton, can I ask you to just quietly put up your hand where you are so I know who I'm praying with and who I'm praying for. Would you put your hand up so I can see where you are? Keep your hand up, keep your hand up. 
I see your hand right there, beautiful. Wonderful, that's a child right there, that's beautiful. Is there anyone else who wants to pray to receive Jesus and to be connected to Jesus? Would you raise your hand? I see a hand right there, that's another child. I see a lady right there in the middle of the tears. Praise the Lord. Yeah, you can put your hand down once I've seen it. I see another child at the back, beautiful. I see another child right there at the corner, beautiful. City campus, I, I believe that there are hands raised as well. I cannot see you, but here's what we're gonna do. Put your hands down. Let's, let's pray this prayer with me to receive Jesus into your life, to be connected with Jesus and to come back to God through Jesus. So I want you to pray the lines that I'm gonna pray out. I want you to repeat after me. And church, would you join our friends in that prayer? Repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. I recognize I don't have what it takes to be righteous, to be right with God and to be right with other people. But by the blood of Jesus on the cross, I can be made right. So I receive you, Jesus, into my life to be my Lord, to be my Saviour. From this day onwards, help me to live right. Help me to live in obedience. Help me to know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you join me in giving God a big hand? Let's stand where we are, church. Come. It's not over yet. We're going to pray. And I'm still asking for everyone's ears and pay attention to me. We're gonna worship and we're gonna go into song. But with every eyes closed right now, I wanna lead us in a prayer. But before I pray, I just sense that the Lord is stirring in some of our hearts today. We're Christians, but God is stirring in our hearts anew to see society, the people around us, to love them, to care for them, to be a person who will stand up and speak up for justice. And if God is stirring in your heart this morning, you don't know what that looks like, but you just feel like God is telling you something and you just want to respond to Him. And you know that God is telling you something. He's asking you to come and to commit yourself to be that kind of person for other people who are vulnerable, the poor, the least in society. If that's you, where you are, can I ask you to just raise both hands to the Lord and I want to pray for you. Raise both your hands high up where you are. And God has called you into that place. You don't know what that looks like, but God is just stirring in your heart. Right now, hands raised up high. Keep it there, keep it there, keep it there because I want to pray for all of us. Praise the Lord for you. Lord Jesus, would you see the hands that are raised? Lord, what would it look like, God, if the church were to be a lover of people the way that you loved them? What would it be like, God, if society were to be filled with the righteousness, the justice of God, that we may love other people as God has loved us, that we may love our neighbours as we love ourselves. And for the hands that are raised here, encourage God, I pray that You will fill them with Your Spirit. Give them courage and boldness to speak truth where there is none. Give them boldness to bring peace and the shalom of God where there is none. Bring them the courage to stand in the gap for those people who are weak, 
poor, vulnerable, who have no voice. Lord Jesus, would you send them forth in the power of your name, the name which is above all other names. You can put down your hands now and we'll pray all together as a church. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we pray for our cities, for the ones on the wayside whom people overlook every day, for the ones who are poor, for the ones who are oppressed, for the ones who are weak, for the ones who are vulnerable, for the ones who are powerless and voiceless. Lord, we pray for them. Lord Jesus, would you stand up for them and help your church to be your hands and your feet to stand up for them. For you are a God of justice and you're a God of social justice. You're a God of society. You're a God of your people and you care for them. So help us to carry that same heart as we go into the streets to love on people the way that you have called us to love them. We also wanna pray for the global leaders of our world, the corporate leaders and the political leaders the ones who have the right and the power to make decisions that will literally send people into the streets or to build homes for them. The ones who can build bridges for society or the ones who can literally build walls between peoples. We pray for them that they will be filled with the wisdom of God. We pray that they will be filled with the fear of God, the holy fear of God. That whether they know you or not, Lord, that inside of their hearts, there's an instinctual understanding of what is right and what is wrong. That they will seek good and not evil. That they will hate evil and love good. That they will seek you in their own time, in their own ways, and come to know you in a real way. We pray for these leaders to make just decisions on behalf of the least, the poor, the hungry. We pray for these leaders to have a mindfulness of what they're doing and the implications of what they are deciding upon. We pray that they will look upon the long-term rather than the short-term gain. That they will look at the well-being of the world and the communities and the future generations rather than to exploit everything that they can in this time. Lord, we pray for our leaders, that they will be godly leaders filled with justice and help your church to be that voice to speak to our leaders, our nation, our cities, our people. And together we lift high the name above every name. Together we lift high the name of Jesus. Jesus is His name. Jesus is His name. Jesus is His name. And together we lift up the name of Jesus and we speak the name of Jesus into our world. In Jesus' name we pray and all those people say, Amen. Let's